Thank you, Maria. We've already enjoyed our services today to hear from Maria and to uh, see this uh, saint's house, this beautiful ministry that we're able to be a part of. But today we are going to talk about a phrase I hope you hear a lot while you're here, and it's the phrase, everyone belongs here. Uh, By the end of today, when we get back to this verse that uh, Maria just read, I want us to be able to see that everyone does belong here because Christ has brought us into a unity. And so we're going to take a little journey through a couple stories before we get to that verse again to to kind of put a cap on it. But as we go that way, uh, I want to start with, with realizing that we are not in a time that is worse than it used to be. Sometimes I think we get overwhelmed with all that's going on and and I hear people say and it's easy to think that everything is worse now and everything is so bad now and and that the world has so much more chaos than it used to have and that our country is so much worse than it used to be. But I want you to realize that as you read through the gospel, Jesus was in a time and an experience that was just as bad or worse or equal to what we have going on. That Jesus had to walk in a culture that had, and he had to navigate all of these problems. He had to navigate through racial tension. He had to navigate through oppression. And he had to navigate through uh, just a place where it wasn't a Christian society that didn't even exist until he uh, created it. It wasn't even uh, in the established uh, religion of that that he was born in, the Judaism. There was still just this pluralism of things around. How many of you in middle school, high school, you studied like Greek mythology and Roman gods and all these strange things that, that today we look back and like a god of the sun, a god of of war like who would believe all these things but it was so common to have many different religions many different gods many different moralities and and things that were the way to follow and then within that you had this small Jewish religion that also had within it just different competing uh, ideas in fact, uh, we've learned, if you've been a part of a church very long, about Pharisees. Like, we would never know anything about Pharisees, except for we knew that they were always in competition to Jesus because he was disrupting what was going on at that time. And so Jesus walked a life that it was in an atmosphere of chaos. It was in an atmosphere of religious plurality. It was in an atmosphere of moral decay, and there was just things all around. So all the things that you feel like are part of your culture now, that are part of your society now, Jesus endured those things. And he did it in a way that was, as John chapter 1 describes it, he was full of grace and truth. So grace and truth are these two guideposts. They seem to be in opposition. They seem to be opposites. But what they are, they are the two things that rein us in to find out where is the place to be and the place to live. Anybody out there bowl? Any professional bowlers? I'm not expecting a hand to raise, all right? So, but you've all bowled at least once, right? So when you go bowling and you enjoy bowling, it's just a great time to do. But there's, the, the nemesis of bowling is what? The gutters. So on one side you have this gutter, on the other side you have this gutter. And if you go either far direction in either way, that's when you lose. Now, so I want you to picture, so in society, here you have these two lines that create this side. Now, grace is on the one side. And if you go too far over into the concept of grace, you start to live in this uh, idea of, of universalism. 
that everything is good and everything is okay and it all ends up and that there is no truth to, to decide on and that there's just all of this acceptance and there's this grace. And the problems that come with bowling into that gutter on that side is that you say, well, what is justice? What is truth? What is right? Isn't there something that has grounds us to, to what is real and what is accurate? And so there has to be a truth. And so then you got the gutter on the other side of truth. And if you roll all the way to that side, what you have is someone who declares that, that I know the truth and I'm the source of truth and this is the way it is and if anyone's in disagreement with me and thinks different than Lee, I bring the judgment of God into this and then you have things like terrorism and this jihadness and these things where, where there's this, this hyper uh, obsession with being right and with being true and that's bowling into the other side but if you put bumpers in those how many of you bowl with bumpers? right? Are you too uh, embarrassed about that? Good, I like that. You just say you do. So if you put those bumpers up, I want you to see Jesus as those bumpers. And what he does is he knows how to navigate between these two areas of grace and truth. So that no matter how you roll, if you're rolling it and you are keeping Jesus as your guidelines, you stay within what is graceful and what is truthful. All right, so if you're the person who does this right down the middle, nice and slow, that's good. Or if you're the one who does the, you know, you've got the kick and the ball goes here and then it ends up over there, fine. But if you keep it in there between grace and truth, then you're in the right spot. And Jesus lived that example. He lived the example of grace and truth, and it didn't always go super easy. You, people left Jesus all the time. People got angry at Jesus all the time. Jesus was a rabbi who wasn't even accepted in the synagogue to teach at one point. They kicked him out of that. But Jesus was also um, an oppressed man. He was born into a society that had an overlord, the Roman Empire, and so he was oppressed, and yet his disciples were always telling him he needs to overthrow the government. That's what you came here for. Start a riot. Start a revolution. Take this over, and yet he never would, and they would get frustrated and angry that he wouldn't do that. You see, every opportunity that Jesus had to, to jump onto one of these big social agendas that were surrounding them, he avoided it and it destroyed the stereotypes and it frustrated everyone. But the example that he led was one of grace and truth that he would accept everyone who would come in. You see, everyone belongs here because of the example Jesus lived. We, if you will read through the Gospels, you will see story after story. And it would go all over the place. So whether it's Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector and had a terrible reputation, and he was a traitor, and he was crooked, and he was unliked. Yet Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to eat at your house today. And he would go to him. The same was with Matthew, a disciple that he called into his leadership team was a tax collector. And when we see that, we think, well, he works for the IRS. He's an accountant. No, this was a situation where he, a tax collector in their society was someone who was betraying their own country, hated by their own family because they would have to take from their own people to give to the oppressive government and their life would come from skimming off the top and somehow they were always the wealthiest. So that was corrupt and unliked people. And Jesus says, you're with me. Or maybe we skim so quickly through the verses where he's hanging out with prostitutes. And we almost just like go through that word like it's nothing and move forward, not even thinking about what that meant. 
the heartache and the pain and just, just what that experience would be for those women and how they had to live. And yet Jesus was coming and receiving them into his. Mary Magdalene was described as having demons cast out. What is, do you know someone who had demons cast out of them? Imagine what that life of hers must have been in this process. And then how it would feel, how uncomfortable that might feel to be set up as one of Jesus' select few. One of the ones he loved. Throughout the scripture you see Jesus bouncing from one side to the other. Healing a centurion's son. A centurion, he directed the Roman soldiers. What did Roman soldiers do? They stole, they oppressed, they, they, they raped, they kill. And the man in charge of them, Jesus, does favors for him. Even the man who helped to crucify him says this is the son of God because of the love and forgiveness he shouts out from the cross. So Jesus defied all the stereotypes of picking these agendas and things in this world. And he would go from one to the, to the other side to the other side. A temple leader who would call on him, he would give and heal their child. Just as much as a poor beggar who had nothing and needed to walk, he would go and heal that man and walk. So Jesus defied all these stereotypes to live full of grace and truth. And so that is the pattern for us. Now, I think a good line for us to remember to know how we could do this, live with both grace and truth, is that Jesus is the only way to God. That's truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we hold on to his statements of truth and what Jesus says is real. He says, so Jesus is the only way to God. But there are many ways to get to Jesus. And that's the grace that is that everyone in here, if you were to share your story, like Maria shared her story with us, we would find all kinds of journeys. Some of, some, some of us could say, oh yeah, I'm like that. I grew up in a Christian home and that's what I've done. Some of you could say, oh yeah, I ran far away and I lived this life and now I came back because something happened. We would have some common bonds, but everyone would be unique. Some would say, it's because my mom prayed for me and led. Some would say, I went to a church and that's where it happened. Some of you would say, I had a dream and Jesus spoke to me and that's why I got saved. Some would say, I found a piece of paper on the ground and read it and that began. We would have stories all over the place of how you came to Jesus because everyone belongs here. All of your stories are unique. And so in knowing that, it's important that we are open to realize that someone else's story, very different from ours, can lead them to Jesus. Now, before we get into the two stories I want to talk about today, I do want to give another plug of homework that you're going to enjoy if you would do that. Now, it wasn't long ago that I recommended that you watch the Chosen series, all right? It's an app. You could download it or anything and watch it. I'm telling you again to do it because if you love to understand kind of the backstory and the human relationships that go on in this group of disciples and these people that Jesus would reach and talk to, this show will just open up a whole lot to your mind. And so I enjoy it thoroughly. You're going to get to the spot where you're like, oh my God, I can't wait till season four and they haven't even made it yet and you haven't even gotten to like some of the good parts. But you're going to love that journey and you're going to really, as you take the gospels and read it and as you take and watch this, it's going to really bring things to life. So I want to say, watch it, okay? Now, that was my commercial. Let's get back to the sermon. Nicodemus is one of the characters that you'll enjoy in that. But that's from John chapter three. 
John chapter 3, we have the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. Now, Nicodemus was a leader of the Pharisees. Like I said before, Pharisees were commonly in the gospel seen as the enemy of Jesus. They were the, the keepers of the very conservative side of the Jewish tradition. And when all the things that Jesus spoke, when Jesus claimed that he is God, when he claims that he can, do, he can forgive sins, all of these things just just rubbed against them so wrong. They saw it as heresy and as an opposition to what? They didn't understand that he was the fulfillment of everything they believed. They felt that he was there to destroy everything they believed. And they fought against him. And the hypocrisy that they had in their life, Jesus would call it out. And he would call them snakes and liars. And, and there was just this constant contention there. So this man, Nicodemus, who's coming to Jesus, is a very religious person. He is more religious than any of us in here. He would go to church more than we would have gone to church. He knows the Old Testament scriptures memorized like crazy more than you or I would know. His dietary laws would have been stricter than yours. His purity would have been at a level that you couldn't obtain. The way he honored the Sabbath and the way that he elevated God in all things of his life and the words he would say and not say and do, it would have been far beyond what anyone in here could say that they could do. We would honor this guy's reputation as just stellar. And when he comes to Jesus... In this conversation, Jesus immediately takes over the conversation and steers it in a direction that he wasn't ready for. He says, you must be born again. What does born again mean to you when you hear that? Right? It, for, for us, we would kind of reflect on maybe, you know, Good Southern American evangelism where you got a born again believer and it's like you got baptized and you have a new life and you're not what you used to be anymore. And, and we might remember that depending on what culture you're from and where you grew up. That was my life. But when he says you must be born again, what Jesus is telling him is he's really bringing on the passive aspect of our redemption. He's saying you must be born of the Spirit. He's saying, Nicodemus, you have done so much good. You are the top of religious people here. But that's not enough. And that doesn't save you. When he says you must be born again, he's bringing in the power of the Holy Spirit that is needed to transform a person's life. Think about it. When you were born, did you have any choice at all in that? None. You didn't decide who your parents were, did you? You didn't decide where you were going to be born. You didn't decide when you were going to be born. None of the circumstances of your birth were of your own making or of your own choice. Being born happened to you. You didn't do it. And so when Jesus brings this into this equation for Nicodemus, he is saying that you need the Holy Spirit to bring you a new life. Your good works can't be good enough. The things that you've done, the resume that you can slide over to Jesus and say, look how good I've been, it's not enough. And you know, when you grow up as a good Christian boy or girl, you begin to think that you can be good enough for God. I mean, that's how I grew up. I grew up in the church, born in the church. 
I grew up in tiny little Christian schools. I grew up in a tiny little Christian family. Everything, I would have been a Nicodemus, right? The things I never did are way up here. And the things that I could do, I could give a report. I was a Pharisee. I am a Nicodemus. I could fit right into that. And many of you can too, right? You can look back at your past and you can say, I can identify with this guy. Because you realize that when that's your life, you are protected from many things, but what you're not protected from is your own heart. And so arrogance and self-righteousness and sin that you bury, all that is part of you in there. And unless the Holy Spirit comes and gives you a new heart and a new life, all you do is look very good on the outside, feel very conflicted on the inside. And the Holy Spirit must bring new life. You see, everyone belongs here. Even a super religious person. Maybe you know someone and they act like they just know everything about the Bible. You know, there's this, there's this arrogance of their doctrine that they know and it's like they can throw a verse at anything and they're ready to post anything and they're ready to attack everything and, and you just think, man, that's a frustrating person. That's Nicodemus. And Jesus didn't reject them. He sat down with him and had a conversation. And he listened to them. You see, so whether you're rolling on this side of the bumper, like Nicodemus, you belong here. You see, because Granada is a place where you can come and look at the life of Jesus week and week and week over to begin to melt down some of that self-righteousness and arrogance that we built up. You see, as Worth preaches the gospel through the life of Jesus, doesn't champion a denomination or any systematic theology, but rather the life of Jesus and how he lived, it begins to, to lower those barriers that we put up as we try to separate Christians into boxes of differentiation. And it brings us into a unity in Christ. And so everyone belongs here, even if you have ideas of how you things think, think things should be. You belong here. But I encourage you, get in a group with people Learn from elders who have been through it before. Learn from people who've had a life and have experienced things and have read things. Begin to see that there's more perspectives and understandings of every passage and get a well-rounded understanding of what Jesus has done in his teaching. Another person that is so easy to invite to be a part of this. When we say everyone belongs here, that is someone who's experienced what you could call church hurt or spiritual abuse. I don't know if these are new terms. They became new to me lately in life. And that's the idea that for many people, their church experience was bad. It was difficult. Maybe it was when you were a child or maybe it was an older point in your life and, and it just didn't go well at all. Maybe you felt isolated. Maybe you felt judged. Maybe you felt used up. Maybe you felt ignored or that, that for some reason you came because you needed God and then it just didn't go well and now that person is like, I'm not gonna have anything to do with the church. Maybe you know someone that, that you work with and 
You're afraid to invite them to church because you know that that's the feeling. They have a past that they're just kind of angry about or hurt about. I tell you that this is a place for them. Granada is a place of grace. No one here is required to give because you were here, required to serve because you need to, or required to do something. You could come and sit here and heal and rest and be revived each week through the worship that you get to experience with others, through the preaching of the life of Jesus and his love and his grace to you, to join a group where you can speak and be heard and learn and and receive grace, to experience failure and mistakes over time and have someone be patient enough to wait for your life to fold out and not to jump to conclusions as soon as you fail. That's the place that we are. And so everyone belongs here. And I have this great level of comfort in inviting someone that that shares with me that they've had a bad experience at church before. And I know this is a place for you. Now, by saying that, I don't promise that no one will ever have a bad time here. We're people. We're human. Pastors aren't perfect. There's times when someone says something that you don't like. A sermon could be terrible and you don't want it. Or a song could bother you. Like, Anything could happen. A group might have missed. Someone missed your birthday. I don't know what happens. You know, things happen. But I can tell you this is a place of grace, and if you stick it out and you talk through it, you will find people here who love you. And so everyone belongs here. So whether you you fall far on this side where you, you want to champion something about a specific doctrine, or maybe your church has hurt you and you're in this spot, you belong here. You do because the same conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, he says this line that I think we probably all know. That's John 3.16. John 3.16 is probably the greatest verse in opening a door, an invitation to Jesus. And yet this great verse was, was spoken to probably the most religious person you can imagine. Because no matter how good we think we are, we still need Jesus. There was a line in a book that I read called Friend of Sinners by Rich Wilkerson that he says this. You can't achieve Jesus. You can only receive Jesus. And I thought, that is so true. So much, if you grew up, As a Christian, you were working to achieve Jesus. If you grew up in a church, you felt like if I do enough of these things, if I don't do the things that people get in trouble for, I'll get Jesus. I'll get his favor. But what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, who did all that, you got to be born again. God comes to you. The Holy Spirit revives in you. You can't achieve Jesus. You can only receive Jesus. And that comes because of the love of God. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world. You know this verse, right? For God so loved the world. That's the origin story of our redemption. Our redemption doesn't come from us. It comes from God's love. And he says, He loved the world. So if your redemption comes from above, it comes from the love of God, not from your own goodness, then what are we? We are recipients of it. 
We're recipients of a gift from God and that gift of redemption he's poured out to you. If I am recipient of it, it's not mine to control. I don't set the rules or the barriers for it. The gift comes from the gift giver and he decides who gives. I got confused. So we don't set walls. We open up doors. Because God so loved the world, the outcome of his love to you is your redemption and the outcome of your love for God is your love for others. And so we love others and we open doors for them to come because everyone belongs here. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you memorize that verse as a kid, you, you may have used the King James Version where it would say whosoever. That was the word I learned as a kid, the whosoever. Same here, whoever. But if you're like, that's everybody. You don't say whoever anymore, do you? Everybody, anybody, whosoever, that's all the same thing. Anybody can believe in Jesus. And we see throughout the Gospels Jesus proving that over and over again as he goes from one person like Zacchaeus or Matthew or Simon the Zealot or Nicodemus or prostitutes or Saul, a woman caught in adultery, a Roman soldier, a temple leader. These are all whosoever. There is no stereotype. There is no single person that it would be. There is no uniform for Christianity. Christ springs from everywhere. Anyone who would be brave enough to come into this church, they are welcome here. Anyone who would be humble enough to tell you their story or to talk to you about their faith belongs here. Anyone who would be meek enough to ask for help and to share their pain with you, they belong here. And so John 3 wraps up and moves into John 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus makes an appointment with a woman at the well. Now, in order for this to happen, Jesus actually has to, to move things around. He actually has to get his disciples to leave and go do something. So he's like, all right, disciples, I want you to go find food for me. I have something to do. And so he sends them away so he could have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with this woman. And he goes to the well there. Now, for us, this doesn't have a lot of context in our world. And so we have to learn and understand the context of the ancient world and what's going on. And so if this woman is at the well by herself, then that's an indication that she has a lot of relationship issues in her community. Because what would happen is all of the village women all had to go and get water. So they would all go together and it would just kind of be, you know, a social event. Help each other out. Everybody gets water. Everyone talks about, you know, all the small town business and has a good time. And that's just part of it. And they do that together. But this woman is staying away from that because of, I don't know, broken relationships. So she's by herself at this well. And Jesus approaches this person who is the exact opposite of Nicodemus. If Nicodemus was on this gutter, she's on the opposite gutter. She has no power in this community. She's neglected. She's alone. And you could see kind of 
in the interaction she has with Jesus that there is a, an immediate antagonism that happens. So when Jesus says, will you give me water? And her, she's not like, oh, sure, that'd be awesome. No, she's like, can't you get your water? And then when he would ask anything, she would just respond with a, kind of a way to, you know, end this conversation, right? Like you do when you walk through the mall and someone wants you to try a sample, right? You just look down away and say, I don't need anything. You're, this is what she's doing. She's like, Get this guy moving on. But Jesus wouldn't. He stays into it. He went there on a mission. Everyone belongs here. She's one of the whosoever. And I want you to see, you could read later in in John chapter 4, just how not abrasive, there's nothing rude that happens, but you definitely see that she's uncomfortable having this conversation with him because of all of these dynamics that are going on. First, there's a racial tension. She's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. They hated each other. There was this animosity, this racial tension from their background. There was a religious difference. Even she says it, you worship there, we worship here. We don't believe the same things. Let's not talk about religion, that never goes well. There was that power dynamic of him being a man and her being a woman alone here. And what that created in that circumstance. We know that she had had many negative relationships as Jesus reveals earlier that she's had four husbands and then she's living with a man. And so she doesn't have a lot of trust and respect for this man. But Jesus pushes through that. And I want to draw that out for us because Like we were talking earlier, we are in this atmosphere and we are in this world where there is a ton of division and mistrust of people. And I phrase it like this, the algorithm makes you thirsty and angry, the gospel makes us satisfied and gracious. I blame the algorithm like it's the devil because there is this definite atmosphere in everything you do, right? Your phone is constantly being sent messages of tragedy and and anger and and separation, whether it's through social media that you're getting it, or even if it's not, like I haven't been on it for years, but it surrounds me. If you open up anything to Google anything, you're going to get listed a ton of things that you're supposed to be angry about and that you're supposed to be worried about. And if you watch the news, Lord help you, you're going to know that the world's coming to an end as fast as it possibly can. And if it's not one thing, it's the next. If it's not the Russians, it's going to be the Chinese, or it's going to be the Koreans or it's going to be the immigrants or it's going to be the liberals. No, it's going to be the conservatives. No, it's going to be a hurricane that just popped up. And then it's going to be, oh, economic disasters. Like every day there's a new thing that you're supposed to be in a panic about and angry about. And the truth is you, you can't do anything and most of them don't exist. It's just constantly feeding you nonstop. So much so that even when you say, I'm going to not be a part of that, you're still a part of it, Right? Because everyone else is, so what are they talking about? What's the world around us? What is everyone feeling? It's like this pollution over everything, every conversation just surrounding us. Well, that woman is in that same mode. She knows this Jewish man with his religion, there was an immediate separation there. Not receptive. And we live in that, don't we? Constantly thirsty. 
thirsty. You need more. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough for retirement. Something else could happen. You don't have enough insurance. Your car's not enough. You're not doing enough. Your experiences aren't as great. And you're constantly thirsty for more, for more, for more. And there's always a danger. There's always a danger. Something else is about to come and destroy you. And so we need to separate. You need to find. And there's just this drive to create this anxiety about us. But the gospel pulls you out of that. And it offers us satisfaction. That in Christ, we are who we need to be and have all we need. And it starts to to melt away this, this fight that we're supposed to all be fighting with each other in some way for some reason because there's something happening. And it unites. And it says the kingdom of God is at hand. He's coming again. He's in control. And you see Jesus push through all those things to get into a conversation with her and elevates out of that. You see, because the algorithm, it makes you thirsty and angry, but the gospel makes us satisfied and gracious. It changes who we are. So we no longer have to be frustrated and afraid of all of these things. Jesus wasn't afraid of his culture. He knew that he had redemption in him and was bringing it to them. He didn't pick which side of the culture he was bringing it to. He went to both. Because everyone belongs here. In John 4, verse 13, he tells her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. There's another thing coming. If you win your election, you still have something else to fight for. If your economy is good now, you know there's going to be a change later. There's always something for us to worry about. They'll give you something. You'll be thirsty again. But verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, that's what this place is for. To come and to leave those things, the chaos and the confusion, and to find Jesus in our songs and in our prayers and in our teaching so that a well of life comes up in us. And now we're able to be the gospel carriers, the good news bearers, the ones who can rise above all of these things that are happening around and say, I have a king who's in control of this. One thing you'll notice here is that Jesus brings unity through exposing our common problem and offering uncommon redemption. When he speaks to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again because your good works aren't enough. The hidden arrogance and self-righteousness are not enough. And when he speaks to the woman at the well, he says, go get your husband. He exposes the immoral sin that she'd been living in. But he doesn't treat it any differently than any of the other ones, did he? What Jesus shows is that whether we're arrogant or immoral, it doesn't matter, it's a sin. And that is crazy for us to compare our sins and say your sins are worse than my sins or my sins are better than your sins. Jesus creates this unity and this equality by saying all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we all equally stand before God in the need of a savior. And so it's foolish for us to stand pointing at other people's sins and separating them out from us because their sins are worse than ours. Jesus didn't do that. 
In fact, he went to her and he says, I will give you the water that will satisfy you. Everyone belongs here. This unity that comes through knowing that we are all sinners is actually a joy. It's a freedom that we get. So whether it was, uh, for in her case, adultery or in Nicodemus' arrogance and self-righteousness, Jesus didn't compare or weigh them on a scale. He offered an uncommon redemption to each of them. Because the love of God is the source of our redemption. Not the level of our goodness or our badness. So the love of God poured out to each so if you know someone who seems like they're really far from Jesus, or maybe they just seem really far from church or Christianity, or maybe you say, wow, their viewpoints or their lifestyle or their this just is so different than mine and it's not like mine. Invite them here. Everyone belongs here. See, because Jesus went to everyone. Now, we find this play out and accumulate to this verse here. Genesis 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you are baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. What Jesus does when he redeems you and brings you into him, he is now your identity. We don't take our identity in our denomination. We don't take our identity in our political parties. We don't take our identity in our nationalities or in our cultures. We don't take our identity in our gender. We don't take our identity in the choices we make or the sins of our past. We don't take our identity in any of those things because Christ says, he has forgiven all of our past and he has given you a new name and he has brought you into his righteousness. So we are in Christ. The verse is whether you're Jewish or Greek. To us, that doesn't mean a lot because we're not growing up in there. But he's saying, look, it doesn't matter where you're from. In Christ, we are one nation. He says, whether you are slave or free, it doesn't matter your economics, he says. In Christ, we all have everything together. It says, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. So Christ is your new nationality, your new religion, your new tribe. All of this is in him. And so, to close, I just would love for you to think of this. Who do you think belongs Maybe you have a friend with marriage trouble or is going through a difficult divorce. Sometimes they feel that the church isn't a place for them. But you could say, yeah, you belong in my church. We're here to care for you. Maybe someone at your kid's school has received bad news of some kind. Maybe it's medical or financial or just... Struggles in life seem overwhelming. And usually when people go through hard times, they, they isolate and want to carry their problems on their own. But you could say you belong here. 
We're gonna take care of you. Maybe you know someone, maybe it's a neighbor or someone who just complains about how terrible this world is and how terrible everything is. You say, I know a place that you need to go. They belong here. To see the power of Jesus in this world. That we're not victims of what goes on around us, but we are children of a king who's in control. Maybe you see someone who's confused and struggling and you feel like, man, they've been deceived by this culture in such a terrible way. You know what? They belong here. Because where will they find the love of God poured out to them? Where will they see the truth and grace that Jesus walked out? They'll see that here. Everyone belongs here. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the example that you gave through your life, every day in your life, just constantly, the people you love, the words you said. It's so hard for us to rise above who we are and what's going on around us. So God, we ask that we could be baptized into you. Your spirit would transform us to be obedient to you, to change our hearts and minds in such a way that we could truly say everyone belongs in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have an opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. And so I think I would say what Jesus was saying to the woman at the well, you know, if anyone